Welcome back, everyone, to the podcast. Your host, as always, Daniel Jonas. Today on Sunscrap Nation's podcast, we'll be going over UFC um, on ABC. We'll go over the results of that, as well as being as well as going over UFC Fight Night, yada yada, Neil Magny versus Michael Chiesa, uh, UFC Fight Night, Chiesa versus Magny. Um, but first, we're going to start off with the, what happened in ABC. We'll go over all the, the – mostly the main card. We'll talk about that or whoever I think deserves a little bit of a, uh, a talk about, if you will. And if I've got time, I'll go into some news. To be honest, it's so slow that it's almost, it's almost embarrassing how slow the media and – in MMA is how slow it's going, what people consider news. Um, so yeah, I hope you guys had a good weekend. I hope you guys enjoyed the fights. I hope it was convenient that it was on at like three o'clock in the afternoon. But from here on out, actually Wednesday is I think a noon fight. Yeah, it's at noon, which mo- majority of us in the states are working. It's kind of weird to put it on during noon. And then on top of that, people that are not, let's see, if it's noon in the UK, because they're the ones that suffer the most when it comes to fights, uh, world clock, so they're five hours ahead, you know, it'll be five for them, so it's, it's a good time for them, <laughs> but then UFC 257 right back to helping out the Americans and making sure it's on our time schedule. Still, 10 o'clock is still kind of late. I don't ever know why it's at 10 o'clock. At least the main card uh, pushed back a little bit. Who gives a fuck? If it's pay-per-view, it's not like you have to do some scheduling conflicts with anyone. I understand the prelims and stuff like that, but it's a Saturday night. I guess college football? I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know anything about anything else besides the sport. So, I hope you guys, like I said, had a good weekend. You can check everything out at SouthernScrapNation.com, as well as you can go to Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, all the, or, and then iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, all those places to listen. Um, so, let's go ahead and get started at two minutes in. I'm going to go ahead, or three minutes in, I'm going to go ahead and start talking about the fight. At, so, let's start with the middleweight um, Soriano versus Todorovic. Classic case of a guy coming in, kickboxer versus... Everyone called him a wrestler for some reason. I don't get it. Um, Hawaiian. Soriano goes in there, knocks out Todorovic. Great knockout. I, I don't, once again, I don't know why everyone called him a, a wrestler. The biggest difference in this fight, and it's just boxing 101. Todorovic was doing a good job getting out of the way of these, like, wild punches of Soriano. I mean, heavy-handed Hawaiian. <sighs> Problem is, Todorovic was leaning back. So as soon as Soriano, Soriano just made the slight adjustment of turning, these, uh, turning the punches from wild, wide hooks to straight shots down the middle, that's how he started landing that right hand. Um... And, I mean, there's not much more to it. He got it. Um, late in the round, late in the first round. But, man, 
yeah, it just it just took a little bit of that adjustment. The wrestling, he tried to wrestle Todorovic. Todorovic was landing some good stuff, getting out of the way, kicks and stuff. But man, it was just a it, it's a common common game plan of push the kicker back so his kicks and his pow- and he and his punches lack a little bit of power and just forward aggression try to land that nice bomb started to wear on him yeah man that that leaning back thing i don't know who teaches that but i honestly I guess tall guys are ones that are more willing to do that because they don't really have more of a – like their head movement kind of sucks. Like what am I going to do, roll as a tall guy and put my head right in range of getting punched? So leaning back is really their only option, except he's not that much taller than the other guy. Sor- Soriano and Doriovic, uh, I don't even know the stats. But, gosh, they weren't even much taller. It's just that really bad technique that becomes habit. So moving on, um, the highlight himself, Joaquin Bockley, becomes a highlight reel himself through Alessio DiCirico. What did I say before this fucking fight? Now, you guys are going to get on me when we're talking about the main event. and You have all right to. I was wrong, completely, uh, 100% wrong. Um, I admit it. I did not think it was going to go that way. However, this middleweight, what did I say? As much as I thought Joaquin Buckley was this guy was set up to for Joaquin to go in there and steamroll and add another highlight to his highlight reel. Joaquin Buckley got outstruck by Kevin Holland, who's not even in the realm of Israel. If he had struggled with Kevin Holland, and I'm saying I'm not saying that Kevin Holland isn't a good fighter, but he's definitely gonna struggle against a guy and Alessio Alessio Dicerico, who has you know, been fighting in the UFC since 2016. I mean, he's a stand-up fighter. I'm pretty sure he's from Italy. Yeah, he's from Italy. And for those that don't know, here's a little bit of a culture shock to you. Italians have very good striking as far as kickboxing goes. It's one of their biggest... Oh, Kevin Holland fought Eliseo Di Chirico. Um As far as kickboxing goes very technical and and on top of that he goes out there just plants a head kick nothing complicated about it it's just that Joaquin Buckley doesn't keep his hands up to his face he's not technically the best fighter he hits very hard and he can do very athletic things i.e. the knockout of the year last year however at a certain level that shit just doesn't work anymore. People aren't going to be put in place for that. They're going to be mentally prepared. They're not going to just let some big some, some big fighter come in, some big heavy-hitting fighter come in, walk them down, and try to knock them out. They're going to use elusive footwork. They're going to try to set it up so that they catch them when their hands are not placed correctly. And that's all they got to do. The guy he beat, Jordan Wright, before that, not to take anything away from Jordan Wright, but very young into the sport, or like very young into the UFC, could take advantage of the big show. Alessio DiCirico is kind of annoyed at this point. He's lost three. He's fighting for his job. He doesn't give a fuck about the big show. He just wants to make sure he can feed his 
family if he has some, after this fight. And that's what happens. Kevin Holland, not shunned by the, not afraid by the big show. Catching people when it's their, when it's a big show and their mentality is already wavered, and we'll get into that in the featherweight main event, it, it plays a big part. I know people don't want to hear this, but fighting's not complicated. Fighting is one of the easiest things out there, right? Not smart people fight. That's just the way it is. If you're too smart for fighting, that can also be a problem. Right? You want good fight IQ, but you don't want to be too smart where you suffer from a paralysis by analysis where you're questioning every shot you throw, questioning whether or not you know, if, if it's worth a sh- you know, all those different things. The paralysis by analysis and on the big show, it takes – it comes in. And now you got this guy who's the human highlight reel, got knockout of the year according to everyone. He's got some pressure on him to perform again. I mean Jordan Wright. That Jordan Wright win, once again, lucky he fought someone who was, in that case, Jordan Wright was blinded by the light and every all the pressure was on him. In this one, all the pressure was on Joaquin Buckley to perform. Some people can handle it. Some people can't. At a certain point, it becomes less about the technical aspect and it becomes less about how much martial arts training you've had and it becomes more about the mentality of it. Who shows up when you w- walk into the octagon? It, it's a sport. Dana White pushed this into, a, into the realm it is because he wants it to become the next NFL, the next NBA, the next MLS. Granted, NFL, there's plenty of big, strong guys that show up to try the tryouts, even at high school level, middle school level. Big, strong guys. They think they're just going to pass on the athleticism. Yeah, to a certain point, you can get pretty far with just athleticism, especially fighting. But then at a certain point, your mental game has to take over. If your mental game isn't straight, especially during that whole week, and that's why I say when it comes to fighters up and coming, fuck the UFC, get some experience outside, Get used to the lights and the lights, the tension, the media, the fact that you're going to be next to your favorite fighters and that you can't be a fan anymore. And that just takes over. It's a mental, at a certain point, it's mental more than anything else. All right, and then we have Li Jing Lang, knock it out, Santiago Ponzinibbio. Can I say, ring rust has never looked good on a person. Santiago looked awful. He couldn't get anything off. He couldn't, he threw some leg kicks. He couldn't get one shot without getting immediately countered. And Li Jing Lang with that left hook, I mean. And that's all he was waiting for. Um. I'm just going to get to – so, yeah, Santiago, pressuring forward. But it's one of those things. In the two years that he didn't fight, did this sport evolve 
from where he was succeeding, minus like he's just trying to eye poke people. But it just looked. Lee just looked better. It it must it clearly was the ring rust. Santiago Ponzinibbio was throwing strikes with his chin up in the air, leaning back, and he's not much taller than Lee, so I don't know why they thought this was a good idea. His hands are low. He's trying to just walk in, but every time he throws a jab, chin up in the air, which I'm looking at this thumbnail of Lee Jing Lang versus Neil Magny and just the complete difference of, like, Neil's hands up. Um, I think Neil versus Santiago now is a different story. It's just a night and day difference between what you expect from a jab and what Santiago's throwing. Now, granted, Santiago could probably go in there after this fight and get a, get a nice win after having competed. But see, I mean, I'm watching it back right now. But the whole entire time, Lee's setting it up. He's throwing a right and then a hook. But every time he throws the hook, he allows Ponzinibbio to back up until the very end when he will actually step forward with that left hook. He'll throw the right hand, and then he'll step with the left hook. And that'll, yep. Um, I'm watching it. I'm going to watch it because everybody else. Boom. All right, so they both throw right hands. Oh, no. Ponzinibbio throws a... Does a jab, actually touches Lee, shows Lee the range. And Lee's actually just throwing a jab. Um, and then he throws the right hook. Jab, right hook, or right hand. The right hand hits Santiago as he's backing out on the shoulder, which allows Lee to then leap in with the hook and clip him and exit out the other way. I mean, it was nice. It, it shows the leech is i mean he he's has some losses but if you can't get past lee and he was saying the the neil magny fight he showed up late or something like that and that's his only loss is the neil magny fight i guess in that way styles make fights you know styles make fights Then we have Carlos Condit versus Matt Brown. Not much to say about this fight. Back and forth. Um, Carlos got more takedowns, more total strikes, top position. Uh, there were moments where he was on his back. But, man, uh, do you want to watch it again? Like, it's one of those things. Like, they're old, man. I don't no, no. Why are we? Why is this even a co-main event? Should be like the highlight of our prelim. Can we also stop defending the fucking UFC? Like, I get it. They came back and they're putting on fights. Congratulations, you're, they're doing their job. But just sit here and if you're gonna sit here and tell me that I should be grateful for the fights that they're putting up and like, oh my god, UFC's never been better. Uh, no, it. These cards suck. These cards suck hard. They have great, they have great outcomes. As far as this featherweight main event, we'll talk about it. But they have great outcomes. However, man, 
You wanted me to recap Carlos Condit versus Matt Brown in 2021? Carlos got into the UFC 12 years ago. What are we doing here? All right. Anyway, main event. <coughs> the only fight on the card that was worth a damn. As far as, obviously, it was fun to watch Lee Jigleg knock out Santiago Pazadivio. Ooh, sorry. It was fun to watch Joaquin Buckley get knocked out by Alessio DiCirico. It was fun to watch uh, Soriano knock out Tordorovic. But they're not the first round, first round, first round. That means someone's game plan went wrong, or they're not in the same class. Like, they're outclassed. Or, in the Santiago Ponzinibbio thing, cold, 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 because he came out two years without fighting, and they gave him Li Jing Lang. <sighs> okay, so the Max Holloway fight. I was wrong. Man, I thought Calvin Cater was going to go out there and just outbox Max Holloway. He was going to have the – he had longer range. I thought he was going to sit there, throw the three-piece combinations, and yada, yada, yada. As much as Max Holloway is being praised for the significant strikes he landed and all that, Calvin Cater, it wasn't his night, Clearly. Every time, and I will give Max this, his timing was phenomenal. He could tell every time Calvin was about to start the machine up. Every time Calvin was about to throw a jab or every time Calvin was trying to do anything, Max would interrupt his brain, his timing, and just like that, that thought where you go, all right, jab, in your brain, you go jab. And that moment where your brain goes jab and it travels down to your arm to tr- about to throw it, Max would interrupt with a kick. In between that time. It's beautiful. I love it. It's what he did against Aldo. Aldo works on combinations. He works on a combination um, palette, right? In his mind, it goes jab, cross, hook to the body, lay kick. Jab, cross, hook, lay kick. Jab, lay kick. Cross, cross inside leg kick uppercut whatever the case may be he works on a combination scale if at any point he goes jab cross fade back get hit with a cross uh what am i doing next it's an immediate interruption to your neural pathway that may sound smart i just shot that out of my ass i don't know if it's a neural pathway thing but either way what you're doing is you're just interrupting their train of thought it's exactly when you're on a rant and someone goes, hey, where's the bathroom? It, it just knocks you off. And it's up to the other person to either have the wherewithal and have the, like, the mental fortitude and capacity to shake it off and continue with whatever they were doing. Max was there to get hit. Max got hit 134 times. It's not like he didn't get it. It's not like he put up 447, which... Crazy, 447 total strikes out of 746. 60%, 60% average. That's really good for striking. Not so good for math class, but really good for striking. But he was still there to get hit 130-something times. He just 
without confidence and out mentality Calvin Cater. Not even a word. But he just out-positioned himself in a way where Calvin was desperate. He was reaching for right hands. Only reason why Max Holloway hit the, I'm the best boxer ever, punches him in the face and then slips that right hand is because he knew that Calvin saw him talking to the commentary team, thought he was going to be off his game, and when he threw the right hand, he was looking away, and Calvin's immediate thought was, I'm just going to hit him with this right hand, and caught him reaching. That's not the boxer we know. He went off his leg. He was just completely out of sorts. Did Max do that to him? Absolutely. It wasn't like Calvin went in there and he had a brain fart. Max implemented this. The reason why I thought Calvin was going to have success is because there's a game plan for Max Holloway already. Dustin Poirier did it. He goes out there. He lets Max touch, touch, touch. Block, block, block. Fire. Fire, fire, fire. Walk him down. Make him do everything on the back foot. Touch, touch. Maybe slip one. Come over the top. If Max is doing the touch, touch, touch game, every time Calvin got hit, touch. Touch, back, he would back up, back up, back up, back up, back up, back up. And then when those two, two legs or those two feet cross the black line, game time, bro. Spinning back kicks, kicks to the body, um, elbows, all those things because you have a wall that stops you from going back any further and your opponent's the one that sees it. Not you, not you. You have to feel it. You have to go off of straight instinct. And the only person in ultra instinct at that moment's Max. Jab, 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 elbow, right? It's because Calvin had nowhere to go. He blocked himself in. And it, and this is what I'm saying. At a high level, it comes down to the X's and O's. It doesn't come down to, oh, man, that jab's on point. Oh, man, you should throw this combination. It doesn't come to combination play. It does not come to, oh, you should shoot a double. It's so That's the simplicity of it. Where fighting is true, yeah. Fighting at a at a at a at a moment, Calvin Cater of the fourth round, throwing haymakers. The simplicity in that is there's a chance that he touches Max Holloway and Max Holloway gets knocked out. That's the simplicity of it. But the level that Max is working on, he's working on the X's and O's. He knows Calvin's got his back up against the cage. I just have to keep this much. Or I have to keep this little out of range. I have to just keep two steps this way, two steps that way, and I can keep him caged in. If he never gets his feet past this black line, I keep teeing off on him, go to the body, I use elbows, I keep my distance and make an effective thing. If he tries to if he tries to go to the right or left or whatever, I use a certain kick to set him to go to the other way, yada, yada, yada. The X's and O's, the black lines, where you need to be, how the octagon is, is he in a corner of the octagon, is he, is he on the flat panel of the octagon, he's going to shoot on me, he's going to try to get out of this position, I'm going to make him desperate, da, 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 da. Not once did I mention I got to hit him with a, a hook to the – not once did I mention I have to hit him with this combination. Not once did I mention that you have to kick him to the – it's not about that. You're fighting – and my, my buddy Fitz, guy who's been on the podcast, shout out to Fitz. He's been telling me you have to do a podcast on the two black lines in the octagon and just break it down. Fighters that succeed very, very uh, – fighters that succeed immensely – and understand the game, implement the next level of fighting, especially in the UFC. 
it's like I was talking about before. It's not about the it's not about how much technical martial art aspect you have. It's now about the field, the field of play. It's now about the men mental aspect. It's about whatever Kobe Bryant wants to talk about or, or wanted to talk about or LeBron or whoever or a football player, Aaron Rodgers or whatever. In soccer, at a certain part, at a certain point, we know they hit hard. We know they can throw a fucking football. We know they can shoot three-pointers. They can shoot. They can dunk. They can fucking shoot a fadeaway with, some, with someone's hand in their face. Because everyone on the team should be able to do that. It's past that. Everyone in the UFC should be able to hit hard. Everyone should be able to sit down on their strikes. Everyone should be able to throw any kick that there's asked for. If someone's like spinning wheel kick, 98% of all UFC fighters should be able to do that. The 2% not including the heavyweights. <laughs> it's not about that shit anymore. Everyone should be able to do what Joaquin Buckley did. It's about the timing and the precision and the accuracy as well as where they are in the octagon, the field of play. Do you know why people do in Muay Thai do the Y crew? The Y crew was not developed as some dance to entertain people. It was derived from Moy Baran when Muay Thai was used for martial con like martial arts in the in the in the most in the most literal terms fighting each other on the battlefield the y crew was used to feel out the field that you were fighting on you do your dance but during that time when you're walking around the ring and giving and and you know bowing showing your respects you're also checking the floor where it might be slippery in the field where there might be a hole where it might be a little bit, let's say in the octagon, it might be a little bit more springy, where the blood is. Just these little things to either help you or to cause a disadvantage for your opponent. That's martial arts. It transcends the kicking and punching into this other realm of strategy, tech, like a technical thing. For example, Jorge Masvidal versus Ben Askren. The technical aspect of that is not that he ran and threw a flying knee. It's that he kited himself to the right of the octagon in order to set up a straight line for him to run at Ben Askren, knowing that when he started running at him, Ben's going to drop down for his head on the right side of George. He's going to go for a double leg on the right side, which means his head's going to be on the right side. And only in that pattern could George throw a nice right or a left knee. It's going to be on the left side of George, but on the right side of Ben. Where he can jump, switch knee, and hit him. If he ran the other way, he would have had to switch the knee up, but it would have never happened because that's not the way Ben does double legs. He likes double legs right side, right side forward. Most wrestlers, you know, dominant side forward. And obviously they worked on that. You can see the footage with Mike Brown and um, Mike, Mike, Mike Brown? Yeah, Mike Brown, uh, his coach at ATT and all that. But just that, just that little example right there, you know, picking out the tendencies, exploiting them, yada, yada, yada. That's what makes a good game plan to a great game plan.
Max had a game plan, but he also had the veteran savvy of the octagon being able to dictate and play and make Calvin play his game. Brawl with me, however, on my terms. Max will brawl with you once he establishes his range and he knows that you, you're just going to be desperate. It took four rounds. I mean, it worked, but as much as Max Holloway won that fight, and he definitely won it in spectacular fashion, which I guess he gets the win. He gets the winner of Volko versus Ortega, and that would be cool. Um, him versus Ortega, but I'm not sure, man. I'm not 100 percent sure if I even want to watch Volkanovski three. Ugh. Just, yeah. I mean, Volkanovski made a good point. He's like, you're not, you're not having that output when you're fighting me. And that's fair. Even though a lot of people thought Max won the second fight, I think he, I think he thought, I, I think he did because he dropped Volkanovski, and that usually means ten eight. But whatever. The ground game and the leg kicks make up a, a point differential that Max has to somehow figure out but i i think the third i think third time's the charm right if you wanted to hashtag something for max's next camp camp against volkanovsky it's gonna be third time's the charm and then with brian ortega i mean that's interesting it's an interesting fight he definitely i mean from the korean zombie fight he's definitely gotten better but it's one of those things like uh he may not get beat as bad. He still had a lot of ground to make up. And I think he just made up that ground. But now Max is at, like, level two. You know. Um, Ortega went Super Saiyan 1, and Max Holloway's like, oh, congrats, man. Um, check out the Super Saiyan 2 I learned. That's That's a complete difference. Like... You can improve, but Max is still young. So he still has a lot of room to grow. He's 29. He's now just hitting his prime physically. But we'll see. All right, so this week, so tomorrow we've got a nice little matchup between Neil Magny versus Michael Chiesa really setting up Michael Chiesa to be the next guy at welterweight. He's on a three-fight win streak. No. One, two, three, four. Oh, no. Three-fight three fight win streak since moving to welterweight. Being the lights of Carlos Condit, Diego Sanchez, Rafael Dos Anjos. That Rafael Dos Anjos fight was big to me. Because they're both like lightweights that reach success at welterweight. Um, but the problem with Neil Magny, man, and Michael Chiesa is kind of a specialist. Neil Magny suffers with specialists. And Neil Magny, like Michael Chiesa is kind of a specialist with this grappling. And I think if he goes out there and he tries to wrestle Neil Magny, um, it's not a bad idea if you can get him to the ground, but that's the hardest part is getting him to the ground. I think that's where he's going to struggle a lot is trying to get Neil to the ground. Um, 
Now, an option that you could do, if I was Michael Chiesa, I'd go to the back. I would fake going down, trying to go for a takedown, and just work your way to the back the whole entire time. Underhook, uh, underhook, double underhook. You know, those little things that just get them to maybe catch him and not he's not uh, catch him when he's not paying attention and make him not whizzer one side take the back and get him down that way rather than trying to double leg and single leg him. meal's got great takedown defense um he's also got the reach in this meal's known for his jab so i would if i'm michael i'm trying to strike with him open up the ability to go for a takedown um Try to get him to the cage. Don't follow him. Cut him off. And then instead of going for a takedown, cover distance with strikes. Take the back and get a submission that way. And you know what's also good about that game plan? Is since you're covering distance with strikes, there's a chance you could clip him on the way in. Especially if he's so worried about the takedown or getting taken his back taken. Uh, as far as Neil Magny goes, uh, be the gazelle you are. Stay on the feet, jab, just outbox the fuck out of him. Anytime he tries to get close, jab, 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 uppercut, jab, 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 knee, something. And just don't let his hands get connected. And stay away from the two black lines. That's pretty much it. Um, as far as this fight goes, Neil Magny is definitely the favorite. Yeah, I mean... As far as underdog goes, Warley Alves, oh, or Roxanne Monteferi. Roxanne Monteferi might be your, um, yeah, might be your underdog, to be honest. Or the Sergei Morozovo, because there's a Umar Nurmagomedov is fighting, and not all Nurmagomedovs are great, just the one that I know of. But he's two, 12 and 1. So this guy's 16 and 3. There's a chance. There's a chance. But other than that, that's all I got for you guys today. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed today's breakdown. I'll put it in the comments when I start. It's three minutes for that one. And then start at like 29 minutes or whatever. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed. I'll be back Monday. No, I'll be back. Thursday to break down fights Saturday because we got Connor versus Poirier and I'll just do a whole breakdown of that hope you guys enjoyed this episode I've been your host Daniel Jonas as always you can follow us at sunscrapnation.com as well as everywhere else iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify and then on social media Instagram, Facebook sunscrapnation.com hope you guys enjoy the fights tomorrow and peace